0: state of the art. Hi everyone, this is Daniel Wise. Welcome to another episode of Cartmails in Conversation. I'm joined today by two of my colleagues, uh, Maggie Giselaire and Joe Abdullah.
1: Hi Dan. Hi Daniel.
0: And uh, in this episode we thought we'd pick up uh, a few topics that we discussed in our recent state of the art webinar series. A um, couple of things that come up fairly often and we thought it'd be interesting for the uh, the wider audience today. So Maggie's going to be focusing on third-party observations, uh, which is a way of um, trying to disrupt uh, other people's patent applications. And Joe is going to be taking us through something called double patenting, which is one of the more mysterious elements of EPO practice. Uh, so thank you very much for joining this episode of Cut No Conversation. I hope you enjoy it. And um, Let's uh, kick off first with Maggie. So, Maggie, what are third-party observations? What's it all about?
2: Well, as the name suggests, it is a way for members of the public, so your third party, to send their comments to the patent officers regarding the validity of a patent application, or in some cases, a granted European patent. So they can be a really useful tool if you're trying to, as you said, disrupt disrupt proceedings. Maybe you're trying to slow down examination or maybe you're trying to influence the amendment strategy of the applicant. It's a way for you to get your opinion out there and to try and maybe flag things that you think the patent officers might have missed.
0: Mm. So, so what kind of things would you put in the observations?
2: You can actually pretty much put anything in there. The statute from the EPO um, governing These observations is really broad and just says that the observations should concern the patentability of the invention. So, pretty much any classic ground or any issue you have can be flagged up in your observations.
0: So, that's pretty much everything then novelty, inventive step, clarity, presumably?
2: Yep, so all of those big grounds can be raised. Um, One caveat is just clarity is only considered before grant at the EPO. So, actually, if you're filing observations against a granted patent, clarity isn't so relevant. If you think clarity is your you know, your key attack, it can be really helpful to file that in observations before grants.
0: Sure. And then the other things, sufficiency, added matter, all the, all the favourites, I guess.
2: Yep, exactly. And I think often we see TPOs being used as a way to highlight new prior art. So if you're aware of a document which maybe the patent officers have been missing or that haven't been picked up in any official searches, third-party of observations can be a good way to flag up that citation. And in fact, it can be helpful to do this at the EPO, but it can still have implications which stretch beyond just that application. Um, ultimately, the applicant might have to adapt a new you know, strategy globally in view of this prior art. And they might actually formally have to notify patent officers in other countries of this document as well. So you can use observations in one country to maybe impact it on a more global level as well.
0: Yeah, that's something I've certainly seen where you kind of file something at the EPO to force the applicant then to file it at the USPTO uh, under their duty of disclosure rules, and it can be very unhelpful for the for the applicant.
1: Yeah, that, that's something I've seen in practice um, too. I think I've I've seen that applicants, sorry, third parties, are sometimes a bit reluctant to file substantive TPOs relating to novelty and inventive step just in case the EPO doesn't actually follow those objections because they're concerned that, for instance, national courts might interpret that as meaning it's a bad objection. But the fact that you, if you file the, the new art at the EPO, it then has to be uh, potentially cited in the US in particular can be really useful. I think mm. you also raise a really good point about clarity. The fact that it can't be raised in opposition, I think, means it's a really good candidate for raising in third party observations. And what are the costs involved in this?
2: So there are actually no official fees required to file the observations at the EPO. So there's obviously the fees involved maybe in preparing that or maybe doing searches if you're interested in a particular application. But it's a pretty cheap way. You just fill in a form on the EPO online system. You can just put in your comments in either a PDF or in that online form and hit submit. There's not, there are no official fees involved.
0: Have we ever seen people filing these things just out of out of interest? I mean, if it's that open uh, a website, I wonder if kind of, uh, you know, just random people might comment on on particularly high-profile patent applications or anything?
2: I haven't personally seen that, but maybe I've just been with some well-behaved third parties. Um, (laughs) I guess that is an option. Uh, I think the EPO It's kind of up to them how much they pay attention, I guess, to the observations. They might carry some of those observations into office actions, or they might just say these aren't relevant. So it's probably quite an easy way for the patent Office to ignore them if they are just quite superfluous. And are there any other rules
0: you have to observe?
2: So there's some rules to be aware of in terms of the timings of filing your observations. They can only be filed if the application is pending. So that's if the examination stage is pending. In theory, that means observations can be filed up to the very moment that the decision to grant has been prepared by the EPO. But I think in practice, it's fair to say that it can be quite hard to get the EPO to pay attention if they think the application is ready for grant. So there's probably a bit of a sweet spot in trying to file your observations, kind of in the middle, say, of the examination stages before the EPO starts to wrap things up. Also post-grant, observations can only be filed if there is already kind of ongoing opposition or appeal proceedings otherwise they'll just sit on a register but won't be published.
0: And do you actually have to say who you are as a third party?
2: No, you can file them completely anonymously if you want, or in the name of a party, or you can be a bit more creative and refer to a Buzz Lightyear character if you wanted to, um, as we've seen done before.
0: Oh, the famous Buzz Lightyear third party observations, yeah. I think I've seen Harold Bishop as well, The uh, for the for the Neighbours fans. Uh, he's, he files quite a lot of things on, on appeal. Why would people be concealing their identity in that way
2: well there are lots of reasons why it might be helpful as you've said you might not want to you might not want to let the applicant know you're interested in this area Um, or perhaps you might already have a relationship with the applicant you know in a commercial setting and you don't want to disrupt that Um, so I guess filing anonymously will help you avoid that confrontation Um, it's also really easy to do using the EPO online system it's very much set up To be filed anonymously, you just kind of tick a box or don't fill out your name and then it carries through to anonymous observations at the end.
0: And doesn't it have some bearing on how quickly the EPO kind of picks up the case as well?
2: Yes, it can do. Um, The EPO has a kind of early certainty scheme across all of its examinations to try and keep things ticking along quickly. But it states in there that it aims to kind of respond or to pick up on points in third-party observations within about three months. But that only applies if they've been filed in a name. So actually, if you're filing them anonymously, it might take a bit longer for the EPO to respond. And um, Of course, that can be actually an advantage if you're trying to slow things down. OK,
0: what about sort of post-grant? Can you? So far, we've been talking about trying to get the examiner to see things the way you want him to see it, he or she. But... Um, what about postcard? Can you still do this in, in oppositions and things?
2: Yes. if there's So if there are pending oppositions or appeals going on, then you can file your observations. You need to be a bit more careful then if you're trying to file things anonymously, because you can start having questions about admissibility. Um, so the background to this is essentially that the EPO has the right to disregard observations that are filed late on in opposition and appeal proceedings. So if you're filing your observations anonymously, that can increase the chances of them being ignored by the EPA.
0: And presumably on appeal, that's that's quite a big deal.
2: Yeah, exactly. And one of the recent cases issued by the board kind of confirmed that the recent um, recently tightened up admissibility rules will also apply to third parties. Basically, it'd be a bit unfair if third parties would have you know, greater flexibility in terms of timings than the actual parties involved. So because of this, the later you file your observations, the less likely they are to be admitted.
0: Yeah, because that'd be open to abuse, wouldn't it? The parties themselves could file things as anonymous third parties. And then if they were more likely to be admitted for that reason, that would be pretty unfair.
2: Exactly. And that's very much the reason why they um, you pretty much need to file your observations with a name if they're being filed during the appeal proceedings to kind of stop parties maybe being tempted to try their luck that way
0: yeah yeah good point interesting did i hear your dog barking a minute ago
2: there was a dog on the street but unfortunately it's not mine i didn't even get to (laughs) see it i thought it it was making some kind of observation of its own (laughs) (laughs) there we go (laughs) trying to influence the outcome of our of our podcast here yeah
0: (laughs) okay that was uh that was interesting thanks uh thanks maggie um Joe, should we move on to double patenting? Sure. Now, what is double patenting?
1: So double patenting is basically what it says. Um, It's the idea that a, a party isn't allowed to obtain two patents for the same invention. So if you obtain... Um, one patent with a certain set of claims, you can't then obtain another patent filed on the same day with the same set of claims because that's double patenting.
0: And why is that a bad thing?
1: Um, I think there are a few reasons, but the main reason is really third-party certainty. Um, And if you are able to obtain multiple patents protecting the same subject matter, then there are going to be multiple barriers in the way for third parties that are interested in that technology. So if you could obtain two or three patents to the same technology, a third party would have to try to get all of those patents revoked if they wanted to work in that area.
0: Isn't that what kind of
1: happens in practice
0: though? I mean, we talk about patent thickets all the time. There will be lots of patents on any given technology so, what's the difference between double patenting and, and, and obtaining just lots of patents for
1: your, your ideas? So, I think the key difference really is that double patenting um, is a provision that is meant to prevent you from obtaining claims to exactly the same subject matter. So, you mentioned packet, patent thickets and multiple patents relating to the same invention, but I think um, – the the EPO is comfortable with that kind of approach because they realise that one given product might um, actually feature several different inventions. There might be different aspects of the same same product or composition or process which um, are are independently inventive. And so it's fine in practice to have multiple patents covering the same product or process that have overlapping scope. Uh, I think the idea is that you shouldn't really be allowed to obtain Multiple patents do exactly the same thing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and particularly with that same date. I guess that's the key. So, so
0: what's the so what's been happening at the EPO recently? Why are we why are we discussing this now?
1: So, so double patenting has, has long been a, a very nebulous concept at the EPO. There's actually um, no provision in the European Patent Convention that mentions double patenting, and so the legal basis for double patenting objections has always been quite unclear, and we've seen. The EPO raised double patenting objections in examination for some time, and they normally refer to a provision that's called Article 125, but that actually only refers to the need to take into account procedural law in contracting states. It doesn't actually mention double patenting at all. And the guidelines which the examining and opposition divisions at the EPO are meant to follow, they refer to refusing applications from the same applicant with the same filing date that relate to the same invention that isn't actually as clear as it sounds um the same invention concept has generally been interpreted at the epo as meaning the same subject matter and they tend to treat that fairly narrowly so they say well any difference in scope is normally enough to avoid double patenting and they're more lenient than other countries in that regard generally so for instance in brazil you're not allowed any overlap between Um, The claims in in different patents filed on the same day because they consider that to be double patenting. And in Canada, um, they're even more strict in that a divisional application must be inventive over a granted parent in order to avoid double patenting. But despite the the EPO adopting a fairly straight line and practice in this area has been been quite inconsistent and, and that's come to a head in a recent referral to the enlarged board of appeal. And what was the what was the outcome there then? Has the enlarged board helped clear up this this uncertainty? So I think the answer is probably yes and no. Um the the EPO in that referral decided that Applications could legitimately be refused for double patenting, and Article 125, which I mentioned a minute ago, um, they dis- they explain that that is um, it does provide valid legal basis for refusing applications on the grounds of double patenting. They also explained that double patenting does apply in all um, conceivable situations for applications filed on the same filing date. So you can't have double patenting between parent applications and divisionals, which is probably the most common situation in which double patenting occurs. Double patenting is also prohibited in the case of parallel applications, which is two applications filed by the same applicant on the same date, and also in internal priority situations, so between a priority application and then a later application that claims priority from that application. So, they've cleared up uh, the law in that respect. But I think the decision is is probably more notable for what it doesn't address than what it does. Um, so as I mentioned a minute ago, then the EPO generally applies this standard of same subject matter for analysing whether double patentings occurred. But in this referral, then the claims um, at issue were absolutely identical. And so the referral didn't actually look at all at how same subject matter could be interpreted. Um, and that's left a big open question, I think. It's it's something which uh, the EPO certainly has inconsistent practice on. Um, for instance, a common situation in, in the chemical field is to have one patent to a list of specific compounds and then perhaps a divisional to only one of those compounds, which might be the compound that the applicant's most interested in. And the EPO sometimes seems to reject d- to double patenting on that basis and sometimes doesn't. Um, I think there are a few other open questions. Uh, for instance, whether double patenting can be avoided by assigning an application to a different corporate entity before grant. Um, the uh, referral to the enlarged board also didn't um, address the issue of whether double patenting can be considered in opposition proceedings post-grant. Um, So that can occur if a patentee amends the claims of their patent after it's been opposed in such a way that they're identical to the claims of another patent. And there's some EPO case law that suggests that double patenting can be considered in clear cases in that sort of situation. EPO practice is a bit patchy in that area, and I've seen opposition divisions that are rather confused when double patenting is discussed at opposition hearings.
0: Yeah, I mean it's not a it's not one of the grounds of invalidity at least under the EPC, but I can sort of see why it might get raised.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, I've been involved in one case where we did raise it, and uh, the opposition division at the at the hearing first of all question what the legal basis was for such an attack because it's not a ground of opposition, as you said. And then when we referred to Article 125, they did seem to engage with it, but the decision was was quite flaky on that ground. So I think it, it's clear that opposition divisions aren't really comfortable with how to deal with double patenting in opposition. I wonder if there
0: will be another referral or, or if this issue just doesn't come up often enough to get the kind of head of steam behind it.
1: Yeah, so, and I think it, 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 double patenting is a fairly niche issue that, that doesn't come up all that often. And I think generally because, as I mentioned, the EPO um, interprets the same subject matter fairly narrowly, then applicants tend to amend their applications to make sure that the claims aren't absolutely identical. Um, You can make a fairly small tweak to your claims generally to avoid um, the EPO considering that the subject matter is the same. And that's easier, I think, than having to Mm. um, deal with double patenting objections. But there's certainly scope for further referrals in this area. I think we could see referrals on issues such as what the same subject matter means, whether double patenting can be avoided by assigning applications and and whether double patenting can be raised in opposition proceedings.
0: Mm. No, interesting, interesting area. Maggie, can you raise double patenting in third party observations? And
2: well, that's a good question. We'll have to test that one out and get back
0: to you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there'll be I a future I... referral on that point. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did try it once and the examiner was not very interested, to be brutally honest. But uh, never mind. We, uh, we've got to test these things. Uh, brilliant. Well, that was, uh, thanks for that, uh, Joe. That was an interesting uh, discussion. Um, that's pretty much all we've got time for today. So I'll just thank you again for uh, joining me, Joe and Maggie, and, and obviously the uh, audience as well. Thanks for for listening in. Hope you enjoyed it. If you've got any questions or follow up for us, then please do get in touch. You can get our contact details off the website, of course. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, join us again soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.